Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by Amazon. Today's Thursday, March 4th. New COVID infections in Texas are up, tech stocks keep going down, and we're focused on artificially intelligent war zones. Earlier this week, a tech entrepreneur named Brandon Seng wrote a sobering analysis of America's defense capabilities in an op-ed for the Aspen Institute. In short, he said we had fallen behind on artificial intelligence R&D, and in so doing, put our military and national security at risk. For example, he wrote that military drones dependent on GPS will soon become, quote, cannon fodder for adversaries with advanced electronic warfare capabilities. Now, to be sure, Seng is not the first technologist to sound the alarm about America falling behind on AI. For example, a committee chaired by former Google CEO Eric Schmidt just days ago sent a report to Congress about how America's AI lead over China has been quickly shrinking and that the consequences of being leapfrogged may be dire. Seng, though, is not an uninterested observer. For example, he was a Navy SEAL who served in Afghanistan. Second, and even more relevant, he and his brother co-founded a startup called Shield AI, which basically makes smarter military and surveillance drone software. So yeah, Seng is talking his book a bit, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. So in 15 seconds, we want to talk tech, policy, and ethics with Brandon Seng. But first, this. So Brandon, let's just start big picture here. What exactly does your technology do? I'll start with uh, Shield AI's mission is to protect service members and civilians with artificially intelligent systems. The best way to think about our artificially intelligent systems is it's essentially self-driving car technology applied to the military's unmanned assets. Unmanned assets can be uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, unmanned what they would call surface vehicles, which are like boats or ships, unmanned ground vehicles, or unmanned underwater vehicles. And so we're building the software that will pilot these systems in what the military would call denied environments, no GPS, no communications, uh, and then enabling them to work together to accomplish missions. You guys, in addition to the software, make some hardware, right? For example, you make drones. Are you also making other hardware for vehicle, you know, boats and, and cars, et cetera? No, we... Uh... We built a quadcopter uh, because uh, it's a doesn't require a lot of capital to uh, build a quadcopter when you compare it to all the different military vehicles that you can build. But we built it to show basically what you could do with AI, what you could do with self-driving technology for our customer set. So we will always build a, a quadcopter system, but our goals and what we are doing today is we're starting to integrate our software onboard other platforms, like a fixed-wing unmanned aer aerial vehicle. What's the gap you're trying to fill here, kind of in existing U.S. defense uh, infrastructure? The gap is that there is a, there's not a lot of AI or software technology uh, going into uh, the defense products today. So what's really great about AI, what's really great about self-driving car technology is it can help solve the military's number one problem, which is operating in denied environments. And so over the past 20 years, while uh, the military has been focused on fighting the, the war on terror, our peer adversaries, uh, Russia and China, they have modernized, they have built systems uh, that include 
the ability to jam radar, jam GPS, and also these very sophisticated integrated air defense systems where they can simply deny the U.S. to operate. And so what it comes down to is essentially if we can't operate, they don't respect our, our military edge and uh, that erodes our, our core national security strategy of deterrence through strength. All right. So you talk about peer adversaries like Russia and China. I'm curious, though, is shield AI technology being used domestically in the U.S.? We don't have any paying customers uh, for domestic use cases. There are certainly applications for law enforcement. Uh, we have had a, a partnership with a SWAT team, and you know they have they've used it on some of uh, the warrants that they have had to serve, which you know we've had a, a great response from it in that it, it really. Basically, there was an arson warrant, and uh, it went in ahead, made sure that they were, they were concerned that the house was rigged to explode. And so uh, the fact that they could send one of our products in ahead, you know, it helped de-risk their mission uh, and kept uh, the police officers safe. Do you have any worries that your equipment, your software could end up in the hands of police departments, for example, through grant programs or things like that, and they wouldn't get the proper training on how to use them? As you say, not paying customers or not paying to Shield AI? I'm not concerned with it in the sense I, I think it's a very, 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 very low probability. So if something were to increase the probabilities of that happening, it would probably increase my concern for for something like that. I think you know, our, our technology, it's, uh, it's a controlled technology, which means the government keeps its eyes on it. They're very aware of it. They track it. It falls under a program called ITAR. Uh, and so a uh, lot of eyes on it, a lot of cover down on it. It's not one of those technologies that you just, you know, it accidentally makes its way into someone else's hands. Brandon, you're well aware uh, that particularly military drones are viewed by a, a lot of folks inside the U.S., including Silicon Valley, as, for lack of a better term, uh, murder robots. I wonder, how do you think through some of the ethical issues related to your technology and what it might evolve into? I'll just, again, go back to our mission. It's to protect service members and civilians. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on, on the battlefield as a, as a former Navy SEAL. I think people, when they, when they think military, they think robotics, uh, they immediately you know, jump to the Hollywood depictions that we are all so familiar with. That's just simply not the case in terms of how the military thinks about the technology, how, it, how it's actually being implemented. Uh, they've been using these systems for, you know, for the past 25 years now. And the number one thing that we used our unmanned systems for uh, is intelligence collection. I'll, I'll just tell you, you know, in, in many generals and admirals will we'll echo this. Uh, military operations are driven by intelligence and 99% of what we do uh, is, you know, collecting the intelligence because you want very high degrees of certainty when you have to make those moral and ethical decisions. And those aren't, you know, I've made those moral and ethical decisions as a Navy SEAL, understand the care that goes into them, the thought that goes into them. And I just, it's nothing like what people expect in terms of how, how the military operates or how it's depicted in Hollywood, et cetera. You talked about how the government is kind of watching uh, the technology very closely. In this space broadly, does there need to be kind of more regulation or more streamlined regulation, or do you think what exists currently is adequate? I actually think what exists today is adequate. Again, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of nuance in terms of how the military thinks about strategic technologies, how they care for it. 
another strategic technology, you know, that the military takes into account. It's, it's like nuclear, nuclear power, whether it's nuclear power plants or nuclear bombs. It's a strategic technology, and they've done a, you know, a pretty outstanding job in terms of regulating that, keeping an eye on it uh, since the 1950s. And so, and they, obviously, they've matured in the thinking as that technology developed and how they think about it. And so I actually think the government, they just posted their uh, National Security Commission report on AI. It's a 550-page document broken up into three sections that speaks to everything uh, around controls, regulations, the morality, the ethics, how this can be integrated in the right way to strengthen our national security and also to assure you know, the U.S. and, and the concerned citizens of, of the United States that it's done in the right way. You wrote this piece uh, for the Aspen Institute a few days ago, uh, worrying that the U.S. was falling behind when it comes to artificial intelligence. Uh, we also saw a, a report to Congress uh, chaired by Eric Schmidt, which said something largely similar. How do you gauge that? Is there a metric? I, I, it's a complaint or it's a concern I've heard a lot, particularly from folks in Silicon Valley. But how do we determine whether we're falling behind or we're ahead or we're even? You can see a lot from like what's pub in public domain. You can see a lot. And then I, I, I'm confident there are confidential classified uh, reports on on the evolution of technologies in terms of what the government is is privy to and, and what they can see coming from our adversaries. I think a, a major component of it, uh, two things I look at, like the, the speed of new capabilities coming out from our peer adversaries and then um, the dollars invested. And that's where you see the dollars invested combined with, you know, what China would call civil military fusion. And so you can see these companies working hand in hand with the military while they have the backing of their government. And that is how they're able to move so fast, so quickly. And yeah, it's, it's something that I think I'm concerned about, the government's concerned about. So your company, for example, Shield AI, just raised about $90 million in new venture capital funding. There's obviously lots of venture capital going into AI companies in the U.S. Are you suggesting that you think U.S. government policy should shift whereby the federal government supplements that venture capital for privately held AI companies and should be investing directly? I think that's a terrific question. The, the way that I think about it, the government needs their dollar to go far. And so how can you make your dollar go go far farther faster? And a way that you can do that is you can leverage the private sector to do so. You can lever, leverage private sector dollars to do so. And so there are some nascent programs within the DOD. There's something called the AFWORK Stratfi program that contemplates exactly this. It's like, hey, if, the, if you bring in, if the government puts up $15 million and you're able to bring $30 million of venture capital via another government program, they'll match it. And so you can see that there's a few programs like that. I'm bullish on those types of programs because we're not going to get ahead via, you know, the, the, the same way that we've been doing business. We need, if the U.S. government's not going to spend the same amount as a Chinese government, a Russian government, we need to be able to leverage the dollar and make it go further. Brendan Tsang of Shield AI, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Tidal, the Spotify wannabe led by Jay-Z, which agreed to be acquired by payments company Square, which will now add Jay-Z to its board of directors. Yeah, this is the sort of merger that could just become a footnote in some future book about tech in the 20s, but it may prove more significant 
because it's part of a growing trend whereby creators are getting paid directly for their work. Think YouTube and Instagram influencers, or Facebook beginning to pay publishers directly, or OnlyFans, or even Clubhouse, which says it soon plans to begin paying people who create popular rooms. So this is how Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Square, explained it this morning. He said this deal will create new ways for artists to support their work. And to play this forward one more step, Dorsey, who also is the CEO of Twitter, which is creating its own paid program called Superfollows, well, he's been increasingly interested in cryptocurrencies, with Square recently buying some Bitcoin of its own. So don't be surprised if that eventually plays into the title partnership, maybe via those crypto kitty-like NFTs that we discussed in Tuesday's episode. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Pound Cake Day. And we will be back Saturday with a special episode of Axios Hard Truths and then Monday with something a little different. <laughs>